care.
Um, or did you change it? I can cut it. Um, we just tell me how much. Thank you, Red. I, I appreciate it, man. That's my timer right back there. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm in trouble. We're going to talk about purpose and prayer. Let's go to prayer for a second. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, for this time together. Um, I do consider it a privilege to be here with my brothers. And, Lord, I would pray that uh, you would not only... Uh, just give them some refreshment for the next several minutes, uh, give them the ability to uh, focus and, and uh, concentrate on, on the discussion at hand, but that, Lord, you would uh, protect my brothers from anything that I might say that might be an error, and that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher. Mm-hmm. And, Lord, we're excited about what you've got in store for us. Mm-hmm. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So my notes say for the next 75 minutes, but that's for the next 50 minutes, I'd like to just... My boy. (laughs) Thanks, Art. No, really, watch the time on there. I have a habit of going over. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're quick, Alex. You're quick. I've been discovered. I'd like to discuss what the Bible says about our purpose as a follower of Jesus and how do we determine our priorities. And I think there might be a couple of others in this audience that, that may be interested in that subject as well. But a couple of grounds. You got your Bible? We're going to need our Bibles for a while. You got your Bibles? Did you bring them? You came to a Bible study without a Bible? We got any extras out there, Art, in the lobby? Yeah. Share a Bible with, with your neighbor. Would you? Can you do that? Yeah. Looks like we need about 30 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Acts, Acts 17.11. You turn to that. Luke, John, Acts. Kind of hard to do with one hand up here. Acts seventeen eleven. Somebody got that? This you got? Could you read it for me, please? Right. Okay. Another variant with a more noble character than Thessalonians. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And while they received the word with great eagerness, and while tonight you may hear some things over the course of the next two days, you may hear some things that you say, boy, that sounds great. What I want you to do and what the other speakers want you to do is don't take that at face value. We want you to go back to the Scripture, to the plumb line of God's Word, to determine if it's so. So so be eager about what you're hearing. Don't automatically block it out, but see if it lines up with Scripture. 
If what you hear from me and the others does not line up with Scripture, can it? Discount it. So, fair enough? Second ground rule for our time together is that we encourage questions and interactions. So, feel free, interrupt me, uh, ask me a question. I may not have the answer, but i got a lot of guys here that I can, I can point to, but but I want this to be interactive, and, and I want we want to answer your questions as well. So, so if something doesn't sound quite right, or you need clarification, let me know. The process of your gaining personal conviction from the scriptures is just as important as the product, as the end result. The process that God takes you through. So we want you to filter everything through the Word, and then you decide for yourself the implications and the applications it may have for you. You say it a different way, Mark, about the process being as important as the product. Sure. The investigation that you go through, the inquiry, the processing of all that information is just as important in the plan of God for your life as the application that you come up with, the personal application that you come up with. So the, so the process of getting to developing that personal conviction is an important part of the overall scheme of God as you grow and mature in your walk. Does that help? Now, most people do not know the purpose for their existence. That may be a bold statement, but I bet if I went, I'm not going to do this, but if I went around the room and asked you, what, Chris, is your unique purpose? Defined through the, through the Bible, what is your unique purpose that God's placed you here on this earth for? If we went, went around the room for everyone, there might be some people who would be a little bit hesitant on that and may not be fully clear on how to respond. Nevertheless, not knowing your unique purpose, every man I have met that I can recall yearns to have their life count for something. They want to live a meaningful life. We're solicited by organizations and individuals, including many local churches, <coughs> with the promise that they can help us discover how to make our life count for something of significance. They hold out a promise that if you come along with us, we can show you how to make your life count for Jesus. This desire for our life to count for something is how God created us. I'm convinced of that. It is only through the living God that we can learn our reason for existence. Now Jesus understood his purpose for life. Look up John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 4. Was it Adam? Adam, you were getting all the heat earlier, right? They were making fun? Yeah. Yeah. Could you read 17.4, please? This is Jesus speaking there. Yeah. I saw the glory uh, and fire increasing the 
heavenly Father. He says, I've glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. He knew exactly his purpose and why he was here. We would expect that out of Jesus, right? But the Apostle Paul had a clear perception of his purpose. That's after he met the Savior on the road to Damascus. Look over in Philippians 3. Verse 13 and 14. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I called Graham and did a terrible Graham. Graham, did you got that? Yeah, but that's okay. Uh, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knew what he was about. And he knew that he had to press on for the prize. For the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So just as Jesus and Paul came to an understanding of the reason for existence, it's our task, I would submit to you, to understand our purpose. Now most of us have been taught to manage our lives through goals and uh, objectives but few have instructed to give thought to the source of those objectives and I'm going to expand on that in just a moment now the scripture teaches that purpose precedes plan but most people as I've mentioned before could not state their purpose and rather they rely upon other people and organizations to provide them with meaning and direction in their lives. And just let me give you a, an example for a moment. <clears throat> give me a couple minutes to develop this, this uh, little illustration. And we, we've got a businessman. Let's just call him Richard. And, and Richard is a guy who thought that he could obtain significance and purpose through success in his business. But after a few years in business, he asked the question which most men ask of themselves, you know, what is my life adding up to? There was a country western song, and I'm sure you guys aren't, many of you aren't country western fans, but country western song years ago, and, and the theme went, is that all there is? Uh, I'm sure many of us in this room, myself included, have asked that question. Is that all there is? There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. So in desperation, Richard surrendered his life to Jesus. And he felt that this would finally count for something <coughs> since now he was on God's team. You know, I'm on God's team. Now, now I can figure out the secret to life. Unfortunately, Richard found out that this new Christian life did not provide the solution for the demands on his time. Instead, he discovered that his new Christian walk just introduced him to a new set of activities and demands. And he also found that these activities were even less than satisfying, 
and they were in direct conflict with his ambition to build his business. Things he was hearing and reading in the Bible seemed to bump heads with his ambition to build his business. Serving God required his time and his energy, energy he didn't have. He discovered that serving God in the minds of his new Christian friends had an achievement standard that wasn't all that far different from his secular friends before he came to Christ. There were expectations to be met. And those were things that he had thought he was escaping when he gave his life to Christ. Expectations that people have on him at the activity level? Yes, exactly. So all it did was, it was a duplication of, of what he was experiencing in his secular life prior to coming to Christ. Well-intended individuals, but they, they had these activities and standards that were set, expectations of how you should behave, where you should be engaged, you need to come to this man's retreat, all those kinds of expectations. So again, in the sense of that desperation, Richard looked around for some help, and, and some well-intended Christian friends were happy to tell him what they thought he ought to do. Unfortunately, all this doing just added to his already busy schedule, and it just kept mounting up. Are you, are you with me so far? Can you relate to any of that? So Richard's search for purpose is merely an example of the path that most Christians take as they move in their walk with God. And the first thing that usually confronts us as a new believer is activity. <laughs> Jeremy, help me out here. We'll be What could possibly go wrong now?
So then I said, let's, you need to manage your life through objectives. Anybody here of MBO, management by objectives? That was big years ago I was into that. So from that point on, Richard started to manage his non-business time by writing objectives. One year he said, uh, I want to grow deeper in my relationship with God, so I'm going to memorize three scripture verses a week. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to become involved in a weekly men's Bible study. And I'm going to listen faithfully to the Word of God that's preached by my pastor. And I'm also going to set aside periods of time, Richard said, for meditating on what he'd learned so he could apply the truth to his life. Sounds worthwhile, right? So he also wrote objectives for his family and his finances, his physical fitness. Then the next year, he said, uh, I'm going to set some new objectives. He said, I'm going to major on prayer. So he wrote a whole new set of new objectives for his prayer life. So through his goals, he made some progress. But the problem was, he still didn't find fulfillment. That still eluded him. So as time passed along, Richard had replaced some of the chaos with order. And from all outward appearances, it was not a hectic life. There was direction to his life, even though his schedule was full. But still, not all seemed well with Richard. There was this nagging question in the back of his mind. Why am I doing all of these things? To what end? For what purpose? Where am I going with my life? He discovered that establishing objectives year by year did not answer his most pressing question. <coughs> Are you still with me on that? Can you relate? Richard's problem is that activities for activity's sake are an illusion and they provide only a temporary satisfaction in the quest for meaning in life. Activities must be linked to objectives. But the objectives have to be linked to purpose. What is purpose for a Christian? Purpose is what God wants your life to add up to and why. As a matter of fact, the only difference in purpose in the life of a believer and for the non-believer, for the non-believer it's for who he's pleasing. He's obviously not trying to please God. That wouldn't be on his radar. So purpose is in part understanding the program of God while your activities and objectives are determined by understanding the role you're to play in participating in the program of God. So this is understanding the program of God and this is how you participate in the program of God. The problem is, if you don't know what God is doing, it's difficult to know how to participate. 
So it seems to me that we need to understand what God is doing. We need to understand the ways of God and why He does things to the extent that we can. Here's a verse that really sticks me. We'll take a moment and, and look at it. There are actually two verses. Acts 22, verses 8 and 10. If you look those up. This is the story of the Apostle Paul. Actually, it was Saul on the road to Damascus to persecute some Christians. And as you may recall the story of his conversion, he was blinded by a light on the road to Damascus. And in verse 8, I'll read 7. Here's Paul giving part of his testimony. Acts 22, 7, he said, And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, this is, this is Saul or Paul talking here. First question, who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Now look down in verse 10. He asked the second question. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. Wouldn't that be nice? God would tell you all that's been appointed for you to do. I think that's what most men are looking for, don't you? Just give me the answer. This first question... Question in verse 8, Who are you, Lord? Answers the purpose. That's the first question. The second question, What do you want me to do? Answers the objective and the activity. How are we doing on time? Because <coughs> I, can, I can carve this out or we can go into it. All right. All right. There, there's a book out there on the book table called Establishing Your Purpose. And a lot of what I'm sharing with you, I'm going to share with you tonight, comes out of here. And so, if you're not getting it all in notes and you feel like you want to know more, these books are available and they'll walk you through in a much more detailed way than I have time to do tonight. So, I just want to make mention of that. There are basically four ways for us to find purpose, gentlemen. The first way is deduction. So deduction is where you take and add up all of the experiences in your life, the encounters you've had, the experiences, and then you look back, and from that, you say, well, this is where I've come from. This must be my purpose in life. And so you deduce, by looking backwards, your purpose. That's sometimes called post-mortem purpose. The problem with that is you don't have any chance to make course corrections when you're looking back at the end of your life at all of your experiences. Great grades, wrong courses. That's a dangerous spot to be when you stand before that, is it not? 
suggest to you that's not the way you want to go about determining your purpose. The second way is by association. So rather than develop a personal purpose, an individual will comply with a corporate purpose of an organization. You join a church or a, a parachurch or a Christian men's club and you adopt their purpose by association. And the, the inherent danger there should be obvious to you. What if it's wrong? What if it's not your unique purpose? What if it's not fulfilling like it was in the case of our, our hypothetical situation on Richard? You've got this corporate purpose you've adopted, but that's not my unique call. How about emulation? That's the third way. You look to some heroic figure and you attempt to copy them in some way. And don't misunderstand me. There may be value, in fact, I think there can be tremendous value in modeling. The Apostle Paul told us that. But it can lead to vicarious purpose. And that's probably not going to play well when you stand before God. Or the fourth way that you can find purpose is through a process we call personalization. Correct purpose is not determined by technique, but the source of its, of its derivation. Look, look in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Some of you probably have that memorized. We actually sang it tonight, didn't we, Grant? Where's Grant? You actually sang this scripture tonight, I believe. Jeremiah 9.
Let me give you a couple other uh, over back over here in the Old Testament. Flip over to your to the left to all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna step out on a limb here. I was told that you pronounce the book to the left of Jeremiah differently than we do in the States. Is that correct? And I was told I should say Isaiah. Is that right? Turn over to Isaiah chapter 40 if you would please. I Winston told me that. So I, you remember? Remember I told you about the, the source. You got to You want a reliable source. He didn't lead me astray there. Let me read for you here for a second. Let's just start Isaiah. Isaiah. Excuse me. Isaiah. 40, and, and let me read this with uh, 12 through 17. So, talking about uh, God here, so they said, uh, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his, capital H, his hand? Who's measured the waters in the hollow of God's hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in the balance? and the hills and the pair of scales. I remember singing up here, Graham, in the second song, where God even directs the lightning bolt. Thirteen. Who's directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as His counselor has informed Him? Which of you guys in here has informed God? What are you asking? With whom did God consult, and who gave God understanding? And who taught God in the path of justice and taught God knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scale. Behold, he lifts up the items like fine dust. You don't think he doesn't do that? What have we seen lately? Some earthquakes and tsunamis and powerful stuff, guys. Sixteen. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. Seventeen. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by God as less than nothing and meaningless. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. But God says that the nation, the nation will not detract from his purpose and activity. And I don't know how it is over here, but across the bond... A lot of our brothers are wrapped up in the local economy and, and the challenges we face economically, and they're letting that detract from their God-given purpose. Turn over to the right, about six chapters. And then we'll get out of Isaiah for a moment. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Graham Williams, have you got that? Could you read that for us, please? Remember the fullness in days as long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I am not knowing the end from the beginning, from ancient times, or the spirit comes. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I do. From the east, I summon the spirit of God from a far off land. A man is the spirit of God. 
us will be left behind. But God says, my purpose will be accomplished. If you want to participate with me as I go about fulfilling the work that I need to do and my purpose, I'd love, I'd love to have you on board. It pleases my heart, but I'll do it with or without you. It's our choice. We get to make the choice. Now the Bible reveals that God's purpose for our life has at least three dimensions. Now I want you to know how I'm uniquely gifted to do this illustration. <laughs> There's an outer circle. And we will call this outer circle God's ultimate purpose. We're on the subject of purpose here. So this outer circle represents God's ultimate purpose of what he wants to accomplish. It includes all the created order of the universe. Now we can only catch a glimpse of this. But by and large, it's God's secret. He just doesn't let us in on all of it, does he? There's a lot of things we don't know. What do you know about heaven? Just a glimpse. You may think you know a lot about heaven, but how much of it comes from the Bible? The angels, creation, and God's people are waiting for the unfolding of this ultimate purpose. Hopefully that's to be revealed to us when we're with him in eternity. So that's the outer, outer circle. There's a middle circle. This middle circle we'll call universal. Universal purpose. Universal purpose is shared by all believers, all followers of Christ. It's the same for every Christian. Universal purpose. A working definition of universal purpose might be to glorify God as you participate with Him in the process of becoming prepared for an eternity in heaven. Glorify God as you participate with Him in the process of becoming prepared for an eternity in heaven. That's all of us should subscribe to that universal purpose. Now, let me give you, not an inclusive list, but just let me give you a couple references in Scripture to our universal purpose. There might be uh, two commands to consider. And they're both in the book of Matthew. That is how you pronounce that over here. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. In the essence of time, I'll, I'll read it for you. Matthew 6, 33. This is Jesus talking again. He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Is that a command? Who's it applied to? All believers. Okay. Part of the universal purpose. I want you to seek first. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, says God. And then all this other stuff will be added to you. And what's he talking about the other stuff here in chapter 6? 
food and food and shelter, or food and clothing, specifically. Just don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. Loose paraphrase is you focus on the work of God, participating in the work of God, let God focus on you too. To lose a paraphrase. Flip over to the right to uh, chapter 28. Most all of you guys know this. Verse 19 20. We call it the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. He says, Go there, therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. Once again, a command. He says, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations, and I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. He wants you to make disciples and teach them. Just, again, that's not an exhaustive list, but just an example of God's universal purpose for all believers. And then we have the final circle. <coughs> Bring it out this way. Unique. Now, this is what you... This is what you're really searching for deep down inside, I think. This dimension enables believers to find out their uniqueness, their significance, their meaning, their individuality in our day-to-day -day relationship with God. Our relationship with God on the vertical, that unique relationship, and our horizontal relationships among one another. What is our unique purpose? Here's here's the problem. Here's you place the same guys, come on. Right up front. Let me suggest to you how most most men go through the planning process. They get involved in the activity. And that they establish their objective. Remember I said deduction? At the end, they deduce what their purpose might have been. So they plan from the bottom up. I think the Bible teaches us just the opposite. We need to plan from the top down. We need to figure out to know God and to understand His ways first, and from that we determine our objectives. And from there we can sift through and say, these activities fit with my purpose and my objective. These activities fit, these don't, and we can in good conscience say no to a lot of what appears to be worthwhile activities. They just don't fit our unique purpose. And so you you wish your brother well and you'll pray for him, but no, I'm not involved in that. That doesn't fit my unique purpose. So some questions to ask yourself as you're getting into determining what is that before? What, what is that unique purpose? What has God gifted me to do? What is He gifted? You know your spiritual gift? What has God called me to do? 
in what way am I equipped to do it? Now you can look back upon your experiences, your positioning, your socio-economic uh, preparation that's been made in your life. Where, where, where have I been planted? Remember Corinthians says, stay in that condition in which you were called? For most of us, God says, I've put you here for a specific purpose. It's no accident that you have this education, that you have this, this nationality, uh, that you have this sphere of influence, the business you're in. You don't have to pack up. When I became a Christian, I thought, I'm going to have to carry around a big Bible. I'm going to have to yell out the name of Jesus. I'm going to have to quit doing all the things I like. And he's going to take me somewhere, Africa, at the time is what I thought. I don't know why I thought Africa. But no offense, brother. Uh, Africa. And, and I'd have to be a missionary. Honestly, that's what I thought. I was in the insurance business at the time. That was 27 years ago. I'm still in the insurance business. I'm convinced he called me to the insurance business before I became a Christian. That's how he's equipped me. And so I can reach a sphere of influence. I can reach people that my pastor can't get within two miles of. They smell him coming, and I'm right <laughs> up underneath. <laughs> so... You don't have to look this up if you want to make a note of it. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5, verse 24. Faithful is he who calls you. That's God. And he, God, will also bring it to pass. That's a promise, God. How are we doing on time, brother? All the time, just give me the thumbs up. Right here. <laughs> John, would you write it down? You might have heard it. How many were here last year? I hope you you heard this expression or saw this E squared. Did any of you see E squared last year? Did they see E squared last year? Don't be shy. Did you see E squared? Help me out. I'm dying up here. Come on. No? Here, kid. <laughs> I love this kid. He's all we can. First, he stands for what? Evangelist. What's evangelist? Here's the good news of the gospel, right? Once I was blind, now I can see. By the way, you can have the same thing. Ninth chapter of John, I believe this story is blind now. Evangelism. So, that's your role. That's a universal purpose in the Great Commission for all followers of Jesus. What's the second E? What's the second E? Edify, edification. Or another word for discipleship, right? What's discipleship? Yeah. 
Anybody in here been discipled by another person? I hope so. I was. We're called to do the same to others, are we not? So you're going to hear more, I think, about E squared. Let me just share with you quickly. This, this impacted my life a long time ago. I can't remember who shared it with me. So basically, there's five types of communication model on the horizontal. Five ways you can have communication. <coughs> the first way is a believer to a believer with Christ at the center of that relationship. What do we call that? Sorry? Edification. Yeah. Or discipleship. That could be, that's the second E. So it's edification, edifying, a believer to, uh, we hope, but if Christ is the center of it. Now we can have a believer to a believer and Christ is not at the center. What's that? It's a waste of time. <laughs> the Bible doesn't speak anything to that, does God wastes no time on this. None. How about a believer to a non-believer? Christ at the center. What is it? Evangelism. Outreach, right? How about a believer to a non-believer and Christ is not at the center? By the way, there's a lot of this going on. Isn't it? We sure like to judge the non-believer, don't we? Or we'll just relate to them, but we don't want to talk about Jesus because we might be embarrassed. That's a waste of time. The Bible doesn't, God doesn't address that. He said, don't spend any time on that, guys. Doesn't work. And of course, we got a non believer to a non believer. Christ can't be at the center of that. That I know of. So these are the only two communication models that we ought to be focusing on. So when you meet somebody, do you realize every encounter is providential? It's not an accident that you bump into that person. But they're sitting in your office or you're purchasing something from their establishment or you're riding the elevator with them or you're sitting next to them on an airplane. And so are you asking yourself where is this person spiritual? If you're not, how do you determine your role? What is your role in that relationship, in that interaction, in that encounter? It can be one of only two things. It can either, biblically speaking, to edify the believer or to build a bridge to earn the right to share Jesus with the non-believer. It's outreach. One of two positions. <laughs> How much of your time is spent in these other three categories? Now, you may not get the opportunity to say anything to the non-believer, but are you thinking long? Are you thinking, Lord, why is this person in front of me? I know it's not by accident. Your word tells me it's not. You've got to discipline your mind, condition yourself to be thinking lost or thinking, what is my role in this encounter? And we fly by at 120 kilometers, Miles, wrong country. That was the German. Okay. Uh, I like miles. I understand that. 120 miles per hour. You buy your gas in gallons? 
Guys, you got to give me a break. You're all mixed up here. You can't have it both ways. I guess you can. You're doing quite well without it, aren't you? Um, <laughs> 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 we digress. God says there's only two types of horizontal relationships I want you to invest your time in. I take you to the scriptures, but I sense we don't we don't have the time. What was our Mark, what's your schedule? 15, I'm going to start wrapping it down. I, I just can't. A couple things I want to share with you on, as we close this thing down. I'm in the insurance business. Insurance is my occupation. Ministry is my preoccupation. I am preoccupied in ministry as I go about my occupation. And that's a, that's a subject for another discussion. But if, if you're thinking that Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday is secular work, you're not reading your Bible properly. We read Matthew 28. It said, As you go... Make disciples. Have you got a Strong's Concordance? Do you have access to one? Can you use your computer and look that up? What does that Greek word say? It's a verb, and it's present tense. It's not when you get through with your work over here, then you go over, you compartmentalize that, then you go over and you can work a little bit on, tonight I'm going to work on outreach. Hmm. Next Saturday I'm going to work on edification. It says, as you go, as you breathe, as you go about the regular affairs, make disciples, teaching them. Before you have disciples, you've got to have converts. You've only got two roles to play. Either outreach or discipleship. It is simple. We make it so hard. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment it's easy. You will be persecuted. You'll have tribulation. You'll be ridiculed. You'll also get to, God willing, to change lives in Christ. And if that enlightens your fuse, you need to go back and review your salvation. Do not be a guy who says, Man, I got my ticket punched. I'm in heaven. Back with the rest. I'm going to tiptoe safely. You're going to stand before God and He's going to ask you Alex, let's talk about where you invested the time and resources I gave. Were you involved in the things of God or were you involved in the things of man? Were you involved in caring about the nation, building up the economy? Now, I'm not saying those are stewardship issues. You stewardship, you steward those things that you invest in people. Don't be investing in things that don't last forever. And the nation doesn't last forever. Your job doesn't last forever. Read 1 Corinthians 3 sometimes when it talks about the things that will burn. Let me tell you how to get started in ministry. We, we think this is a ministry. Be square. Come on. Um, 
As a result of the conference, he showed up at the Bible study, and I noticed he was hanging around afterwards. And I was in kind of a hurry, and I thought, mm. but I went over and I just said hi to him. Thirty minutes later, I'm still stand-up conversation, and he was telling me, he said, he said, man, he said, uh, he pulls out the little blue card, he said, I got this at the ranch, at the men's retreat, and he says, I'm, I got to tell you, God's been working on me, on this outreach, on this evangelism, and he said, I only put down one name. I said, well, do you know more non-believers? He said, yeah, but he said, I just am not comfortable with this. And he said, I wrote down one name. And I have been praying for the guy for the last couple of weeks. And this week, the guy came into my office. And he wanted to, he's a non-believer, and he wanted to engage in a spiritual conversation. I said, well, Bo, what, tell me what that looks like. So he did, and I said, well, did you engage him in, in uh, the gospel? He said, no. He says, I'm just not comfortable. We got a little book called Steps to Peace with God, and I think you may have seen that last year. I heard a story about somebody who used this book. In your church, led somebody to Christ. Something like this book. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about this later. Um, four spiritual laws. It just takes you, all of this is scripture. Just take him right through the four spiritual laws. And, and, uh, and both said, I don't know if I'm ready. I am ready for that. Uh, I said, well, how about just saying, we've got a little booklet out on the table out there called First Steps, a little green book, and it just says uh, four units, about ten questions in each unit. You don't even have to have a Bible. The scripture is written down there for the non-believer to, to follow. Uh, is the Bible credible? Uh, who is the person of Jesus Christ? goes through the third unit, goes through the work of Christ, and then the fourth unit is how to have eternal life in Christ. It just takes them back to what the steps to peace would. It just takes a little longer. I said, why don't you just see if the guy is open to meet with you one-on-one for, uh, on a weekly basis for four weeks and walk you through this. And he got all excited. He took two first steps, one for himself, one for his buddy. But the point is, he, he was afraid to pray. He was reluctant to pray for anyone with one and within two weeks, God had supernaturally delivered this guy right, in, right into his lap. So, I said, I want you to keep me posted on the progress. And he was just all excited. So, I, I hope I'm going to have an email or something from him once I get back to, to where I've got coverage. Or maybe I'll see him next Friday. He shows up in the study. But these things are powerful. I, I've used many, many of these cards, and God has been faithful on, on those uh, ten most ones. I hear guys tell me all the time I'm not ready I am not ready to share my faith let me suggest to you do not wait until you are mature to share your faith do not wait until you are mature as a Christian to share your faith it is the sharing of your faith that will bring you to maturity. I know it's counterintuitive, but that's the ways of God. You can't go by your gut on this thing. You've got to go by the promise of God. Guys are also reluctant to disciple a guy one on one.
permit me a personal illustration here. Uh, I came to Christ in 1983. Uh, I'd asked another business church guy to lunch because I, I was kind of like Richard in the story. Something was that. I was just, you know, I had these corporations in place and, and I sure looked successful on the outside at 33, 34 years of age. You know, everybody thought I had it made. And, and that's the illusion I was trying to create. But inside, I was dying. I said, I just can't stay on this treadmill. It's, it's not satisfying. There's got to be more to life than that. So I took this guy to breakfast because I thought he was a bright guy, even though he's in the insurance business. I know it's an oxymoron. But uh, he listened to me lament about the businesses and all my personal woes and he had this big smile on his face and I said, well, what's the answer? I didn't say it that way, but do you have any observations or suggestions? He looked at me and said, where are you spiritually? I said, well, I told you. I'm, I've got the top lay position in the church that we go to. I'm the head of the admin board. I'm the biggest giver in the church. I'm on the finance committee and I make sure I'm always number one on giving, not to be outdone. Uh, he said, that's not what I'm talking about. Where are you with the person of Jesus Christ? And I knew I was in trouble. He proceeded to take me through the gospel. I just armed him three times, but like a good insurance salesman, he gave me one more hard close. He said, Would you feel better if we went outside, outside the restaurant, into the parking lot? And I said, Yes, I would. I thought maybe I could escape from him, but he's a big guy. And uh, I don't know why, guys. I, I think I know why today, with the hand of God at the time. It was just so unlike me. Here I am standing in one of the busiest intersections in Colorado Springs at 10.30 in the morning, giving my life to Jesus Christ. And as he got in his car and drove away, I'm thinking, what have I just done? You know, uh, committed intellectual suicide? or what? You know, this is not like me. He rolls down his window as he's driving by me. He says, I want you to do two things. He said, I want you to tell somebody tonight before you go to bed about the decision you just made. And secondly, I want you to call me tomorrow. I've got this little study, the first steps, Operation Timothy, that's out there on the book table. He said, I, if you're willing, I just want to meet with you. We'll go through that and just see what the Bible has to say about the questions you have, about life's questions the Bible has answered. How to run your business, your finances, be the husband, the father, the friend I said I'm in so we met by the way I did tell somebody before I went to bed that was a tough tough decision because I wasn't the model husband but I did call him we did meet we got into Operation Timothy he gave me a bible uh, and I was excited just pumped up. I felt really good. I felt like, you know, maybe I'm finally going in the right direction. But, you know, I'm, what, what I mean, like seven, ten days into this thing. One of my agents walked into my office about ten days later, shuts the door. Said, can we talk for a moment? I said, yeah, we can. And so we sat there at the table and he proceeded to tell me about his wife's unhappy with him, wants to leave him. He sounded just like my story ten days earlier this guy. I'm thinking, deja vu. So I let him run his 
your story out. And I said, Barry, I don't know, but let me let me tell you what happened to me. And so I proceeded to share with him the things that I did at the restaurant ten days earlier, and how the guy said, if you want to have peace in your life, all you got to do is admit your need for a sinner, accept Christ, and then the Holy Spirit will come in. And, and so I left it at that. And he said, well, can I do that? I thought, you sure you can. So I kind of led him in a, in a prayer, and he accepted Christ. He said, well, what do I do now? And I thought, hmm. Two things. <laughs> I want you to tell somebody before you go to bed tonight about the decision. And uh, I'm meeting with this guy and a little, it's like a Bible, I didn't call it a Bible study, I didn't know what a Bible study was. I'm meeting with this guy and we're going through this book and the Bible's giving, giving me answers. And he said, well, can I do that? And I said, I'm sure you can. Let, let me call him. Sure. So I got on the phone, dialed the guy up, he answered the phone, and I told him what had just happened with Larry. And I said, you know, I told him I didn't think he'd mind if, you know, efficiency if the two of us came by your office and you could just take us both through at the same time. To which he promptly replied, no. I said, what do you mean no? He said, God gave that man to you. You take him through. I said, I don't know anything. His response was, all you've got to do is take one week ahead. <laughs> and guys, it's been a revolving door for 27 years. Don't wait until you're mature in your faith to share it. It is the sharing of your faith, faith that brings you to maturity. All you got to do is stay one week ahead of it. Ask yourself, am I engaged in E-squared? And if you're not, ask yourself, why not? You're going to have to give an answer to God. If you'll ask God, send me a man, and he sends you a man, you've got tools. I know you got tools. they got tools, right, Mark? They've got tools available to them to help you in the sharing of your faith, and you've got tools that you can disciple another man. I wish we had more time, but we don't. There's a banner hanging out in the dining hall. You might have noticed it. 250,000 men. That was the vision that, that we shared with a group of young men under the age of 40 almost two years ago up at Lost Valley Ranch in Deckers, Colorado. Uh, and our purpose was to give away relationships. These are men from around the world. A hundred men under the age of 40 from literally around the world. Give away relationships. Help them so they've got a resource of like-minded men that they can call upon. Because guys, if you're going to adhere to the C-squared, if you're going to be engaged in ministry, if ministry is going to be your preoccupation, you're going to be in a pretty small group. And you're going to need men to support you. And when I talk to my buddy in India, like I did last week, what an encouragement he is to me and the things that he's doing over there in ministry and he's asking me what I'm doing here, you guys, you'll benefit from that kind of support. 
We put together a website. It's a closed website. It's not open. Young Leader Singular Network. By the way, you can be over 40 and have access to this website. The only requirement is that you become the second Timothy 2 two man. You either are or you want to become, or a guy that you're working with wants to become the second Timothy 2 2 man. What's second Timothy 2 2 set? Who's got it? Anybody got it memorized? Art? Four generations. Paul saying to Timothy, right? He says, Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of these many witnesses, I want you to entrust to a faithful man, Peter, who will be able to teach Mark. That's four generations, that's ministry. You get down four deep and you got you're involved in the ministry. And that's God's not his only only method, but it's his primary method of doing ministry. You need some proof. How many guys in this room came to Christ through a televangelist, um, Billy Graham? Okay, got a few. How many guys in this room came to Christ as a result of their local pastor or a campus crusade or a navigator, some kind of vocational Christian worker? How many guys came that way? A few more. How many guys in this room came to Christ as a result of another individual, not the pastor, not the televangelist, ordinary, excuse the word lay, lay type person, cared enough about him that they shared with him and led him to Christ? How many guys came to Christ that way? Some of you guys haven't come to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> By far the majority in any crowd I've ever been in. God uses the individual ordinary believer. If you don't believe me, examine the lives of the twelve that have chosen to do this. They weren't a pedigree. They weren't wise. They weren't mighty. And they didn't have a lot of bucks in most cases. So, kind of puts most of us in the problem. Um, so we came up with the 250,000 number. We got a little, little less in here. We got 50 states in the United States of America. Last time some of you checked, we're only 13 colonies, I know, but we're 50 <laughs> states now. Um, so we, we took 1,000 per state. That gives us 50,000 second Timothy 2 2 men. And then somebody looked up and said, well, there's about 200 countries around the globe. Let's pray for 1,000 men in each of those countries. That's 200,000. So we're asking God for a quarter of a million men. We have no way of knowing if that's the right number. We're not keeping the census. We're not going to keep the census. Um, but we felt like that was a starting point to say, Lord, send us some faithful men that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with for the purpose of E-squared, ministering in the marketplace. Because believe me, man, we can, we can get the, the individuals that other people just don't have the access. We've got wonderful opportunity, and with wonderful opportunity comes increased responsibility, and with that increased responsibility 
comes accountability to God in the final stand. Comments, questions? If you want on this site, if you will send your name and your email, or just email this guy, here's our site administrator, this A-M-E-R-H-E-A-L-C-H, Amherhelp at Yahoo, Jack Carter, if you have trouble with this, let Art know. We'll, 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 uh, this is Jack's personal email. All you do is send him his name, your name, because that creates your initial password. You just use your name. And then uh, your email. And we'll give you access to the site. If you're working with men, as you examine the site, and you think, it's just resources, this is all it is. Every month we put on a, a mentor's corner, we'll put on a new message where you can interact with It'll be a short message, and then we want your interaction, ask questions. We've got information, support material for Bible studies. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's specifically geared for East West. We're not promoting any, any organization. We're not trying to build one. We just want to give a resource to guys around the world. And we're getting, we're getting activity on that. Uh, and it's, it's just to promote East West. Not to promote any man. So. It's getting late. Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, for the time you've given us this evening. Uh, we pray that your word would not come back void. You promise us it will not. Um, Lord, we've seen your hand mightily at work in our life and in the life of many men around us. And we do not want to be presumptuous, Father, but we are uh, we're, we're expecting, Lord, that, uh, and we're hopeful that you would continue to allow us to participate with you where you're at work in the lives of the unsaved and in building up the saved. That you give us just a little piece of the action. And you would give us humility, Father. You would keep us from getting pumped up thinking we have a corner on all the good ideas and we really know how to do this ministry. Lord, we just want to know you and understand your ways. And uh, Father, we're thankful for uh, for Graham and his brief testimony tonight of uh, just giving his life, surrendering to you. We're grateful for our new brother. And uh, we just want to tell you we love you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.